Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Now is our enemies who shall be fearful. If anyone dares to say a negative word about their new president today, their parents, their children, and anyone they ever loved will be sent to Jotunheim to feed the beast. <laughs> Recently, I made a promise to myself that the next time I got a boyfriend, I'd be on the lookout for red flags. And if I saw any, I would do the healthy thing. And I would murder him. In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good. Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 157, The Suicide Squad. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And a huge hi, welcome and thank you for being here with Verbal Diorama. Welcome all you brand new listeners to this podcast. Welcome back, regular returning listeners or non-regular returning listeners, whichever. Thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing this podcast. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of podcasts out there, especially movie podcasts, that are all vying for your ears and for your hearts and for your attention. And I'm so happy to have you here for the history and legacy of The Suicide Squad. And before I delve into The Suicide Squad, as always, I like to say a huge thank you to everyone who's listened to previous episodes. Now, this is the final episode of a little mini series that I've done called Heroes Through the Decades. That mini series started all the way back in episode 151 for Jason and the Argonauts, which was the 60s episode. Then we moved into the 70s with Superman, the 80s with Batman, the 90s with Blade, into the new millennium with Spider-Man, into the 2010s last episode with X-Men First Class. And finally, we are in the 2020s. And to be honest, we've not got very many years to go with in the 2020s. And obviously the 2020s, we did start this decade with a huge global pandemic, which is something I'm going to be mentioning a lot in this episode because not many movies got released during that period. And those that did probably didn't do as well as they possibly would have. 
if we were not in a global pandemic at the time. So this is the final episode of Heroes Through the Decades, and it is the Suicide Squad. And the the is important in this story, although I will tell you now, I am going to be talking about the 2016 Suicide Squad movie because it is pretty integral to the story of the Suicide Squad. And honestly, although it's not as good a movie, it's actually not completely terrible. The 2016 Suicide Squad movie, I've actually seen quite a few times. It's something that I actually find a little bit more palatable and rewatchable than some of the other DC stuff. Like, for example, I've seen Suicide Squad more than I've seen Man of Steel or Batman v Superman. So from that point of view, it's kind of rewatchable. Doesn't make it a great movie, though. However, The Suicide Squad, I love it. I absolutely love it. But I will be delving a little bit into Suicide Squad and what happened with Suicide Squad that basically gave us the Suicide Squad and what that all meant, including the infamous release the air cut stuff. So before we go into all of that, I just want to do a quick summary of Heroes Through the Decades and basically a summary of what each of those episodes have tried to focus on. So Ray Harryhausen made us all believe in monsters. Superman made us believe a man could fly. Batman made the Cape Crusader dark again. Blade gave us an African-American kick-ass hero. Spider-Man gave us an origin story of great power and great responsibility in more ways than one. X-Men First Class really delved into its civil rights roots. And then the Suicide Squad came out because of a disappointing critical reaction to the first movie and the fallout of a decision made by Disney. Here's the trailer for The Suicide Squad. Robert Dubois. He's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. I'm not joining your Suicide Squad. We'll see. My court date is coming up. And Miss Waller said maybe you could help me out. You're stretching in my door! Everyone stand down. Miss Waller, I don't... Stand down! I wouldn't take such extreme measures if this mission weren't more important than you could possibly imagine. Are you in or out? Good. Let's meet your team. It's okay, I'm not okay. Each member is chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. I need to feel the raindrops on my head, on my head. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. Had to go number two. Good to know. Is this thing a dog? A dog? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I'm gonna go with Afghan hound. Oh my god, is it a werewolf? Yo, they sent me this to a werewolf? Yo, let me out! Yeah, he's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know. Your mission is to destroy every trace of something known only as Project Starfish. Any questions? Starfish is a slang term for a butthole. Think there's any connection? No. No. All right. Let's get it. This is suicide. Well, that's kind of our thing. I'm a superhero! That's my dad. I'm gonna get you out of your life. 
I'm going to get you out of here alone. Ratatouille, what do you got? Bird. <laughs> now, now it. Stay off the comp. In exchange for lighter sentences, just like the anti-hero team in Suicide Squad, a new batch of Bell Rev's metahumans strike a deal with the cold head of Task Force X, Amanda Waller. This time, her ragtag band of superpowered convicts, Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, King Shark, Polka Dot Man, and Ratcatcher 2, venture into the peril-laden South American island nation of Corto Maltese to find the Thinker, the evil scientist in charge of the mysterious Project Starfish. But the real culprits behind Project Starfish are a lot closer to home than they realise. Let's go through the cast. We have, of course, Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, Idris Elba as Robert Dubois, aka Bloodsport, John Cena as Christopher Smith, aka Peacemaker, Joel Kinnaman as Colonel Rick Flagg, Sylvester Stallone as Nanawe, aka King Shark, Viola Davis as Amanda Waller, David Dasmalchian as Abner Krill, aka Polka Dot Man, Daniela Melchia as Cleo Caso, aka Ratcatcher 2, Michael Rooker as Brian Derlin, aka Savant, Jai Courtney as Digger Harkness, aka Captain Boomerang, Peter Capaldi as Gaius Greaves, aka The Thinker, Alice Braga as Sol Soria, Pete Davidson as Richard Hertz, a.k.a. Blackguard, Nathan Fillion as Corey Pitzner, a.k.a. TDK, the Detachable Kid, Flula Borg as Gunter Braun, a.k.a. Javelin, Mailing Ing as Mongol, Sean Gunn as Weasel, and Juan Diego Botta as Silvio Luna. Also appearing in this movie are Storm Reed as Bloodsport's daughter Tyler, Taika Waititi as Ratcatcher, Julio Ruiz as Milton, and Joaquin Cosio as Mateo Suarez. The Suicide Squad was written and directed by James Gunn and is based on characters by DC. So there have been a few iterations of Suicide Squad within DC Comics. The concept was introduced in The Brave and the Bold, issue number 25, published in September 1959, written by Robert Kaniger and drawn by Ross Andrew. Together, the two men had worked on reinventing Wonder Woman in 1958. This Suicide Squad is nothing like the squad we now know. It consisted of a physicist, astronomer, a flight medic and the only constant, leader Rick Flagg Jr. They had appearances in a couple of issues of The Brave and the Bold, but it wasn't until the Legends miniseries by John Ostrander, which debuted in 1986, that the Suicide Squad, as Task Force X, were activated by Amanda Waller to defeat an elemental called Brimstone, sent to Earth by Darkseid to defeat the Justice League. The team consisted of Blockbuster, Bronze Tiger, Captain Boomerang, Deadshot and Enchantress and they turned up in Legends in January 1987. They also turned up as a prequel to the first series in Secret Origins number 14 in May 1987 where the Kaniga Andrew team met a war-era team called the Suicide Squadron. Task Force X got their first self-titled volume in May 1987 written by John Ostrander, which lasted for 66 issues plus one annual and one special, followed by five further volumes, each having different team members, but notably all led by Amanda Waller. Ostrander would cameo in The Suicide Squad as Dr. Fitzgibbon. And this is not The Suicide Squad's first foray into live action. They appeared in the 10th season of Smallville, 
the second season of Arrow, as well as in animated series episodes of Justice League Unlimited and Young Justice. But really, I can't talk about The Suicide Squad without talking about Suicide Squad. And Suicide Squad, which came out in 2016, is often derided, although I don't actually dislike it as much as many people do. Kevin Sujihara, the CEO of Warner Brothers, announced the project in October 2014 as part of a 10-film DC slate to run until 2020. But from the start, it was a rushed production. David Ayer was hired to write and direct the movie with a six-week timeline to write the entire screenplay. And he was chosen partially because he didn't have the expensive experience of a big-budget, heavy-effects-laden movie behind him. With a cast, and a huge cast as well, including Will Smith, Jared Leto, Margot Robbie, Joel Kinnaman, Viola Davis, Joy Courtney, Jay Hernandez, Adewali Akinoye Agbaji, Karen Fukuhara, Ike Barinholt, Scott Eastwood and Cara Delevingne, and cameos from Ben Affleck, Ezra Miller, David Harbour, and Affleck and Miller's appearances as Batman and the Flash were specific reference to Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, which ended up causing significant issues for this movie going forward. Filming was completed on Suicide Squad in early 2015 without any issue. And then Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice came out in early 2016. And the sombre tone of Batman v Superman and the resulting negative critical reactions made Warner Brothers have a bit of a wobble on the material already shot for Suicide Squad, with Sujihara specifically concerned about Batman v Superman damaging the existing DC brand. What Aya shot was supposedly a soulful drama, and so reshoots were ordered to take place in 2016 to lighten the tone and make it more comedic, in line with the teaser trailer that had been made by Trailer Park. Trailer Park were enlisted to assist with the new edit of Suicide Squad at the same time as Aya was trying to pursue his original idea. Existing material was heavily re-edited, with the director and studio having two different visions for the film. And while multiple editors were used, only John Gilroy is actually credited on the final product. Two versions of Suicide Squad, Aya's version and the Trailer Park version, were tested with audiences in California. And from the responses of those audiences, the idea was to mix the two into an agreeable version for both parties with additional material to be filmed to fill in the gaps. And these reshoots were extensive and reportedly cost as much as $22 million just for the reshoots. The humour and tone were changed to be more akin to Deadpool and Guardians of the Galaxy, coincidentally, the latter being a clear influence for the trailers for Suicide Squad. Changes made included second build Jared Leto's character of Joker, who was featured heavily in the marketing campaign, but appears in the movie for less than 15 minutes. He was originally supposed to team up with Enchantress in the third act, in which she uses a mother box procured by Steppenwolf, which would also link the movie to Justice League. Other changes to the original movie include Enchantress using Katana to fight Task Force X, Diablo surviving the fight with Incubus, and a more abusive relationship between Joker and Harley, culminating in Harley not abandoning the team towards the end, and finally taking the steps to free herself from her abuser. Harley would instead have a brief romantic relationship with Will Smith's character Deadshot. Suicide Squad, when it was released, was a financial success, achieving $746.8 million at the box office on a $175 million budget. However, it was a critical disappointment, to say the very least. 
with the tone, plot, direction and script, all receiving a heavy bashing from the critics. The cast was praised, though, with focus on Viola Davis, Will Smith and Margot Robbie, despite or perhaps because of her skimpy outfits. That's something that David Ayer has apologised for in recent years, to be fair. Suicide Squad would go on to win an Oscar for Best Makeup and Hairstyling, though, so at least it can claim that it is an Academy Award winning movie. So what did we get from the ashes of Suicide Squad, though? We ended up getting Kathy Yan's Birds of Prey in 2020, giving us more of Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. It is a movie that I love with all my heart and soul. I actually covered that in episode 70 of this podcast. There's also been a reported Gotham City Sirens movie in development. It's actually currently on hold. There was also a film in production centred on Deadshot, a Jared Leto Joker movie, which was cancelled in light of the standalone film Joker, which came out in 2019, and a proposed Harley Quinn versus the Joker, which was also cancelled in 2019, as well as a post-The Suicide Squad Harley Quinn movie, which I am all for, by the way. No news on whether we are going to be getting that or not. And finally, if I'm going to be talking a little bit about Suicide Squad, I can't not talk about the air cut and the movement to release the air cut, which has been ongoing since the announcement of Zack Snyder's Justice League in May 2020, which many of the cast and crew have announced support for the release of David Ayer's original vision. It's worth adding as well that while Ayer criticised the theatrical version of Suicide Squad, he went on to praise James Gunn's The Suicide Squad in an open letter. Now, this open letter is available online, but I'm just going to mention just a brief paragraph or two from his open letter. So the open letter reads, I put my life into Suicide Squad. I made something amazing. My kids is an intricate and emotional journey with some bad people who are shh on and discarded. A theme that resonates in my soul. Ayo wrote, the studio cut is not my movie. Read that again. And my cut is not the 10-week director's cut. It's a fully mature edit by Lee Smith standing on the incredible work by John Gilroy. It's all Stephen Price's brilliant score with not a single radio song in the whole thing. It has traditional character arcs, amazing performances, a solid third act resolution. A handful of people have seen it. If someone says they have seen it, they haven't. And Aya's letter, which is quite long and is available on his Instagram if you do want to read the full version, ends with, I'm so proud of James and excited for the success that's coming. I support Warner Brothers and I'm thrilled the franchise is getting the legs it needs. I'm rooting for everyone, the cast, the crew, every movie is a miracle and James's brilliant work will be the miracle of miracles. And this is probably a good time to segue into why we're actually here. The Suicide Squad, a movie that was intended originally as a straight sequel with David Ayer and Will Smith returning after they worked together on the Netflix movie Bright. Warner Brothers decided to fast track a sequel due to the financial success of the first movie but when David Ayer decided not to return to focus on Gotham City Sirens, Warner Brothers started the hunt for a new director. Candidates included Heroes of the Decade regular David S. Goyer, as well as Mel Gibson, Reuben Fleischer, Daniel Espinosa and Jonathan Levine, with Adam Kozad entering negotiations. And while Zach Penn, he pops up a lot in previous episodes of this podcast too, was writing a script for a sequel to Suicide Squad, John Collette Sarah was the top choice to direct, but there were other issues. Lead star Will Smith was a busy man, doing Aladdin and Gemini Man that year. And meanwhile, Gavin O'Connor was chosen to write and direct the Suicide Squad sequel in September 2017, with his script completed by September 2018, alongside co-writers Todd Stashwick and David Barkatz. In the background, though, Warner had greenlit Birds of Prey, 
which was totally similar to O'Connor's idea for a Suicide Squad sequel. And so he left the Suicide Squad sequel out of frustration in October 2018 as Margot Robbie then moved on to that project. And I like to say that movie making is miraculous, just as David Ayer did earlier, but it's just aligning schedules. Doesn't mean it's not tough. And this is why scheduling issues are so often cited when it comes to movie making and especially sequels. Meanwhile, over at Disney, James Gunn found himself in some hot water over old tweets he'd written, which were somewhat controversial and offensive that started spreading over social media. At the time, he was planning work on directing and writing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Disney chose to disassociate themselves with Gunn and dismissed him from his work on Guardians 3 in July 2018. A mere few days after his famous firing, DC swooped in and immediately offered him a Superman project. When Gunn expressed his reluctance, they offered him carte blanche, make whatever you want, James, the floor is yours, and Gunn only wanted to do one thing, a Suicide Squad movie. And DC not only hired Gunn to write a completely new script for a new Suicide Squad movie, officially in October 2018, they hired him as director and gave him complete creative control. It could be as gory and weird and violent and sadistic and R-rated as he wanted. The only thing Warner Brothers reportedly asked of him was to retain Harley Quinn. Meanwhile, again meanwhile, another meanwhile, Disney had thought of their dismissal of Gunn and decided that they wanted him back for Guardians 3. He ended up having discussions with Kevin Feige, who supported Gunn's contractual obligations to DC and agreed to delay production on Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which I think reiterates Disney and Marvel's realisation on what an asset Gunn is to the Marvel family because they could have chosen to make Guardians 3 without him, but he has a unique vision. He brought it to Guardians 1 and 2, which I promise I'll come into this podcast eventually, but he also brought his unique ideas to the Suicide Squad sequel, including by calling it The Suicide Squad, a nod to movies like The Dirty Dozen and The Great Escape, a group of people on a war mission, and because he had carte blanche, he went through all the DC characters available to him to pick his perfect Task Force X which wasn't going to be a direct sequel to or reflect any plot points in either Suicide Squad or Birds of Prey, but that it also wouldn't contradict those movies either. It's worth noting that Warner Brothers did originally want a PG-13 movie, but acquiesced to James Gunn's insistence on an R rating. The first character James Gunn chose for his Suicide Squad sequel was Nanawe, aka King Shark, a character originally intended for David Ayer's movie until he was switched for Killer Croc followed by Peacemaker, who'd also get his own series, more on that a little later, Polkadot Man and Ratcatcher 2, a gender-swapped version of the character of Ratcatcher, and these were characters who were unlikely to be featured in a mainstream DC movie. Certain scenes in this movie are shown from Polkadot Man's point of view, so you can actually understand the motivations and trauma of the character. And trauma is something that I think resonates with every single character in this movie, and it's something that I'm going to focus on a little bit later too. Gunn wrote King Shark with Sylvester Stallone in mind for the role and originally wanted to cast another Guardians castmate, Dave Batista, as Peacemaker. Batista was busy, though scheduling conflicts rear their ugly head again, with Army of the Dead and so he passed on the movie. John Cena was offered the role of a man who cherishes peace with all his heart and doesn't care how many men, women and children he needs to kill to get it instead. James Gunn's longtime friend David Dasmalchian was ideal in the director's mind for Polkadot Man but Daniela Melchior was a wildcard choice. She was chosen from over 200 actors for the part of Ratcatcher 2, 
And Gunn has always said about how he felt like he struck gold with Melchior because she needed to emotionally ground the movie and he loved the fact she was so natural and down to earth. Melchior screen tested with two others and Gunn knew immediately she was Cleo. And she also had to test with actual rats too, including the rat actors for Sebastian. There's a lot of Gunn's frequent collaborators in here. Michael Rooker, of course, as Savant. Nathan Fillion as TDK. The director's brother, Sean Gunn, as the motion capture for Weasel and a small role as Calendar Man. And Jennifer Holland as Amelia Harcourt, a role she'd reprise in the Peacemaker TV show. Along with Steve Agee as both John Economos and the on-set reference for King Shark. And of course, with a James Gunn movie opening on Michael Rooker, you assume his character is going to survive, but this is The Suicide Squad. So there's a lot of death. Violent, bloody, painful, but meaningful death. In many ways, the most shocking early death belongs to Joy Courtney's Captain Boomerang. But to Gunn's credit, he actually makes the deaths worth it. Returning characters to this movie were definitely going to be 100% Harley Quinn and Amanda Waller, with Margot Robbie and Viola Davis confirmed to return, but Will Smith had scheduling issues and declined to return as Deadshot. Gunn decided he wanted Idris Elba in his movie, reportedly originally for Deadshot, but ended up choosing the character of Bloodsport because Gunn liked the character and also so that Smith could return to the franchise in future if he wished. Joel Kinnaman and Joy Courtney would also be reprising their roles from the 2016 movie, a movie in which Gunn credits wholeheartedly for his movie existing, which is one of the loveliest things about this relationship between James Gunn and David Ayer. There is literally so much love between these two men. So James Gunn credits David Ayer literally in the credits for The Suicide Squad. David Ayer is thanked for this movie. He credits Peter Safran, Simon Hatt and Chuck Roven for being the visionaries and decision makers at DC. And also credits Kevin Feige and Louis Desposito of Marvel Studios, who visited The Suicide Squad set during filming, obviously for their flexibility in letting him work for the opposition, I use that term in inverted commas, but James Gunn truly understands what he has and respects what came before him with this movie without actually referencing what came before. But there's still love there, if you know what I mean. And because this is a James Gunn movie, it contains the visual humour, the meta gags, the references and subtle changes from previous incarnations of the characters we know. Harley Quinn no longer has her rotten face tattoo. It was removed because Margot Robbie didn't like it and neither did James Gunn. Harley is a changed character and Gunn pays homage to the character's stories in Suicide Squad and Birds of Prey, while also involving Quinn's character to become confident in her own abilities. And while she's still completely crazy, and that's a term I don't really like to use actually, but I can't think of another suitable adjective, she also knows her own mind and red flags. Honestly, I've not related to Harley Quinn more than when she monologues about toxic masculinity and seeing red flags and growing as a person enough to, you know, murder the guy who talks about murdering children. The colour scheme of the movie was supposed to be a grim grey tone, up to the team's arrival at Corto Maltese, and it was executive creative director Erin Sarovsky who was key to the look of the Suicide Squad, creating bold, colourful titles and using the additional character of design that James Gunn always likes to add into his movies. A distinct look and feel which for this movie came from 60s album covers and vintage fonts. The main typeface is based on a 1969 font by Hiroshi Yamashita called Alpha Midnight, which was customised into the yellow and pink typeface used, even down to ensuring the use of the fonts on screen, such as for the title card and cast names, were made to look like on a film from the 1960s. 
This was done using Adobe After Effects, layers, textures, grains, glows, bevels and drop shadows. Title cards throughout the movie were coordinated between the production design, VFX and title departments. And being a huge fan of kaiju movies just generally and I have to shout out, Stacker Pentecost himself, Idris Elba, is in this movie. Huge fan of Pacific Rim here. I really want to talk about the design for Starro and what Starro actually stands for. But for a movie about bad guys, bad guys who don't actually need to say they're the bad guys, they are just the bad guys, there's some genuine threat in this movie. And it doesn't come from Starro, really. It comes from Nanawe. Imagine for a second having a shark in your office or workplace and that shark at any point could become a bit peckish. I love Nanawe. Nanawe is the king shark of our dreams. I love the design of Nanawe. It was originally supposed to be a hammerhead shark from the New 52 comics, but that changed to a great white for practical reasons. Harley's own way of processing what's going on around her, especially when it's ultraviolet, is called Harley Vision. And this was something that came to Gunn based on a video game he collaborated on in 2012 with Suda51 in Japan called Lollipop Chainsaw a hack-and-slash video game with a female protagonist who fights hordes of zombies. Harley Vision was something that could also tone down the violence because violence is never as violent when you have a little Tweety Bird in the vicinity. Just ask Roger Rabbit. Filming on the Suicide Squad started in September 2019 at Pinewood Atlanta Studios for three months before moving to Panama as Corto Maltese and Porto in Portugal. Production designer Beth Mickle erected a set the size of three football fields for the outskirts of Jotunheim, where the final fight was filmed, and an even bigger four-football-sized beach set with real waves made by turbines and a palm tree forest, which Gunn dubbed the greatest set he'd ever been on. Because of the shifting tides and the limited amount of time available for filming in a real location, and for continuity reasons as well, creating an entire beach was actually more cost-effective than filming on a real beach. The scene where Harley Quinn murders one of her captors and then snatches the keys from his body with her bare feet before using her feet to unlock the handcuffs above her head was performed by Margot Robbie without the assistance of a stunt double. Director James Gunn applauded Robbie for pulling off the feet herself but expressed his dissatisfaction with the fact that Robbie's costume hides her face during one of the trick's critical moments, making it difficult to see that she is responsible for this stunt. And James Gunn's adoration of Margot Robbie is very clear in this movie just generally because... This movie uses Harley so perfectly. It's a great extension of the character from Birds of Prey with her growth and maturity and the fact she's not just there for the male gaze, which she obviously was in the first movie. She also wears her traditional red and black colour palette as well, which, let's be honest, I don't think that Margot Robbie could look bad in anything, but she does look great in that traditional red and black Harley Quinn colour scheme. And James Gunn tends to use the same creative team behind the scenes on most of his movies. Production designer Beth Mickle, costume designer Judiana Makovsky, cinematographer Henry Brown and editor Fred Raskin. Gunn traditionally doesn't use second unit directors but chose to use stunt supervisor Guy Norris on car scenes in The Suicide Squad as Gunn wasn't comfortable directing these scenes himself. And I mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about Starro <laughs> and I haven't talked about Starro but I feel like I need to talk a little bit about the visual effects in this movie because this movie is very heavy on visual effects, but not the visual effects that you think. But when it comes to CG effects, so they were handled by Framestore, Weta Digital, Trickster, Scanline VFX and Cantina Creative. Framestore were in charge of King Shark, who was technically very difficult to create, more so than fur or wood, as Gunn has previous experience on. The first designs of Nanawe the shark skin wasn't quite right. 
So that was the first thing they had to perfect. Then it was the body of King Shark because he couldn't look too manly or buff. So they essentially gave him a dad bod and worked really closely on getting his shark eyes right. Guy Williams, who also worked on X-Men First Class, actually, which is a lovely little nod to the previous episode. He is the VFX supervisor at Weta and he helped to create the 150-foot version of Starro. The most important part of Starro was to include lots of vivid colour, but never to make Starro feel cartoony. This meant putting as much detail into the surface of Starro as possible, including researching starfish, birds, frogs and lizards, especially for referencing Starro's eye, because obviously starfish don't tend to have a huge eye in the middle of the star. So they used the eyes of birds, which has a sclerotic ring, to allow the eye to remain rigid, and this was used to design Starro's eye. The foreground of Starro's laboratory escape, which includes Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, was shot on the back lot of Pinewood Atlanta Studios, but the remainder, including Starro, the laboratory, and all of the debris was CG, with Weta writing new simulation software that contributed to the destruction. And you wouldn't expect a movie like this to be full of practical effects, right? Because generally they're not. Even James Gunn's previous movies, Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, were very CG heavy. But the Suicide Squad, and James Gunn has confirmed this, featured more practical effects than any other blockbuster comic book film, with Dan Sudik providing on-set special effects and legacy effects providing prosthetics. James Gunn emphasised a scene in the film in which King Shark, who was constructed with visual effects, rips a human in half. And this was done with special effects and prosthetics in real time. What they did was an actual body was created which contained entrails and blood and organs. And this body could be practically pulled apart. And then they added the CG King Shark later on. When Savant's head is blown off by the chip, legacy effects made wax heads of Michael Rooker. The swimming Savant is actually a puppet. And legacy also produced bits and pieces of jaw, bone and blood to represent the post-explosion for an overhead shot that would be combined to digitally reveal the start of the film's titles. Blackguard's head was also created practically for the shot in which his face is blown off. There was also a fully practical weasel puppet for Savant to save from drowning and bring ashore, and the rest of the time the character is totally digital. Polkadot Man's bulbous glowing skin is also practical with David Dasmalchian wearing facial prosthetics attached to batteries in a little backpack that was concealed by his costume. Thinker's brain electrodes were also a practical head mask for Peter Capaldi to wear, which was a rigid and reusable skull cap, which also had its own power sources hidden inside the electrodes. When Starro's babies? Are they babies? Anyway, baby starfish attacked the crowds in Quarter Maltese. 300 extras had to have starfish masks attached to their faces, but because of time constraints, they couldn't be glued onto 300 people. So, for the actors closer to the camera, the artists created 30 to 40 silicone hero masks, while the backdrop masks were vacuum-formed. Legacy devised a tier system for starfish masks, similar to those seen in zombie movies, where the closer you are to camera, the more intricate and detailed the faces are. Hair-coloured string was used to attach the masks to the performers' faces and the strings hidden underneath hair. And while this is a ragtag group of anti-heroes, all with their own paths and unique abilities, except maybe Bloodsport and Peacemaker, who are literally the same guy. The true heroes of the movie are the lowliest and most despised villains in the world, not Task Force X, but the rats, led by Sebastian. Sebastian is the one who saves Cleo's life when the Jotunheim prison collapses, 
and the rats, led by Sebastian and guided by Ratcatcher 2, band together in their millions to defeat Starro from the inside out, also ably assisted by Harley Quinn. Really, the true hero of this movie is actually Cleo herself, who's genuinely the heart of this movie. I'm a huge fan of Ratcatcher 2 in this movie. I love her. She believes in everyone. She supports everyone. She even immediately forgives and extends the hand of friendship to Nanawe. After he tries to eat her, she sees the good in Bloodsport, and so does Sebastian. Sebastian, by the way, is played by a genuine trio of rat actors named aptly Jaws, Squeaky, and Crisp Rat. No, not Crisp Pratt. Crisp Rat. That's genuinely one of the rat actors' names. For high action scenes, either a CG rat or a stuffed animal was used that was so realistic it fooled the other actors. And FYI, Idris Elba really did hate rats, so his fear of being close to Sebastian is genuine. The initial assembly cut of this movie was 2 hours 40 minutes. It was edited down to 2 hours 12, and because of the pandemic, James Gunn actually ended up editing the movie himself at home. It is nice to know that even big Hollywood directors are also WFH during that time. He also set about, during that time, writing Peacemaker. And the end credit scenes for The Suicide Squad were filmed later, once Peacemaker was ordered straight to series by HBO Max. And one man who also cares about peace, but is not willing to kill as many men, women and children as he needs to to get peace, is of course Keanu Reeves. And this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. It is the obligatory Keanu reference for The Suicide Squad. Now, this was a tough one. And this reference is probably one of the duff ones, but... Forbes article in December 2020, emblazoned with the headline, Warner Media deploys Lin-Manuel Miranda, Keanu Reeves and the Suicide Squad to rescue HBO Max, comes from a controversial decision by Warner Brothers to do simultaneous theatrical and streaming releases of its big 2021 movies, which included The Matrix Resurrections and The Suicide Squad. And it negatively impacted the financial success of both movies, but you know, there was a global pandemic raging at the time, but that was literally the only way I could link Keanu Reeves to the Suicide Squad. And it was basically thanks to an article in Forbes. So thanks, Forbes. We do need to talk about the release and the financial issues regarding the Suicide Squad. But before we go into that, because this is a James Gunn movie and James Gunn is known for the excellent use of music in his movie and the Suicide Squad is no exception, I need to talk about the music of the Suicide Squad. James Gunn's regular composer, Tyler Bates, was originally set to compose the score, but he left early in pre-production. But before he did leave, he actually wrote music for Gunn to use on set. John Murphy was eventually hired as a composer for the score. And as I said, James Gunn is known for his eclectic soundtracks. The Suicide Squad is no different. This soundtrack includes tracks by Johnny Cash, The Decemberists, The Fratellis, Jesse Reyes, Kay Flay, Louis Prima and The Pixies. The Jim Carroll band song, People Who Died, was also featured in the film but not included on the soundtrack. The Pleasure Seekers song, What A Way To Die, was considered for use in the film's opening credit sequence, but the song, People Who Died, was used instead. David Bowie's Modern Love, Johnny Cash's Rusty Cage, Aerosmith's Draw The Line and Queen's Death On Two Legs were all considered for the soundtrack but were cut. So there was a very effective marketing campaign for The Suicide Squad. And when I say effective, I mean for most people, because there was a poster campaign which basically referenced each character, along with the line, don't get too attached. 
There was also a Red Band trailer, which broke the Red Band trailer record with 150 million views in its first week. And this fueled the marketing for the Suicide Squad. But in the general public's eyes, there was a little confusion as to whether it was a sequel or a reboot or a remake. And the involvement of James Gunn after the huge financial and critical successes of Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 did seem to bolster anticipation, but there was still quite a lot of confusion. And then COVID happened. And this isn't the first movie I've covered, which has come out in COVID times, and it certainly won't be the last. But ultimately, COVID did affect this movie in multiple ways. And so when it was released here in the UK, we got it actually earlier than the US, which sometimes happens, but most of the time it actually doesn't. So we got it on the 30th of July, 2021. We also got this movie as a cinema only release, not on streaming over here. But in the US, it was simultaneously made available in theatres on the 5th of August, 2021, and also on streaming service HBO Max, which meant it was pirated almost immediately. And The Suicide Squad allegedly became the sixth most pirated film of 2021 in a report by Akame. So against a production budget of $185 million, The Suicide Squad grossed $55.8 million in the United States and Canada and $111.6 million elsewhere for a worldwide total of $167.4 million. It opened to $26.2 million, which was slightly down on Warner Brothers' estimates of $30 million. And obviously, numbers were down across the world due to, as I said, a worldwide pandemic happening at the time. Cinemas were still attempting to recover from literally being closed all of 2020. The film's poor box office performance was attributed to its release during the pandemic. The fact it was also available for streaming on HBO Max at the same time. Piracy enabled by the streaming release. Also the R rating as well, because R ratings tend to limit younger audiences, the poor critical reception to the first Suicide Squad, the lack of bankable stars, as well as, like I say, the confusion from general audiences over its relationship to the first film in the series. According to analytics company Samba TV, The Suicide Squad had the biggest HBO Max debut for a DC film, with 2.8 million views in its first four days on HBO Max. And who knows? Those 2.8 million views in households could have potentially been more tickets, bums on seats in cinemas, but that was the way Warner Brothers wanted to do it, so that was the way they did it. But while it did financially misfire at the box office, unlike its predecessor, Suicide Squad, The Suicide Squad received almost universal critical acclaim for its outrageous, irreverent, ultra-violence, as well as its heart and James Gunn's self-assured vision. Not all superhero movies can validate their R rating, but this one does, and it's all the better for it, I have to be honest. Now, obviously, getting a The Suicide Squad 2 is probably not going to happen. Although, I guess never say never, but at the moment, it does not look like they are planning a sequel to The Suicide Squad. However, when HBO approached James Gunn about producing a series, Gunn saw Peacemaker as the perfect jumping off point describing the jingoistic flag waver as if Marvel's Captain America took a really far right turn. He also felt of all of the characters in the Suicide Squad, Christopher Smith got less of a backstory in the movie. And if you have not seen Peacemaker, please go and hunt it out. Not only does it give us a more rounded Peacemaker, a more rounded Christopher Smith, it's also got one of the greatest theme songs of any TV show ever. Some great dancing as well. And also John Cena 
I've never really rated him too highly as an actor, but he's incredible in the Suicide Squad, the movie. And also, Peacemaker, he is phenomenal. There's also a great supporting cast in Peacemaker as well. So here in the UK, it's available on Now TV. I don't know where it's available in America, I'm sorry, but I assume it's on a streaming service somewhere. And it's really terrific. Please go and check out Peacemaker if you have not. Right, let's move over to some social media thoughts. So I like to ask on social media what people think of the movie that I'm featuring. And not only social media as well, I also go to Patreon. I'm going to start with the patrons. I'm going to start with perennial commenter Andy, of course. And Andy says, First off, The Suicide Squad is a vast improvement on the odious 2016 Suicide Squad, yet still not as soul-crushingly awful as Batman v Superman. Hmm. James Gunn plays to all of his strengths in this movie, injecting fun, ultraviolence and a giant kaiju starfish into a fantastic ensemble piece. Margot Robbie continues to shine, but the honours may have to go to John Cena's Peacemaker, who would, in fact, eat every single D in the name of freedom. Definitely in my top three DCEU and well worth a rewatch. And if you're looking for the podcasting version of The Suicide Squad, complete with fun, ultraviolence and possibly a giant kaiju starfish, but who knows what Andy gets up to in his spare time, you should check out Andy's podcast Geek Salad. It's a fantastic podcast and they literally talk about all things geek. So movies, music, TV shows, games, literally anything and everything. I'll put some information in the show notes. You have to check out Geek Salad. And the next patron comment comes from Derek, who says, Who do you get to tell a story about a ragtag group of misfits that become a chosen family and finally do good? You get James Gunn. This movie is stylized, fun, bombastic and hilarious. I loved every second of it and I hope we get more. And you should know by now, Derek and his wife, Laurel, they host the podcast The Midnight Myth. I actually did just recently an amazing guest slot on The Midnight Myth with Derek and Laurel. The episode is actually due out very shortly as of this episode coming out. It should hopefully be out in the next week or so, give or take. But it is an absolutely brilliant episode. They are amazing podcasters. They are amazing people. And their podcast is genuinely one of the best podcasts out there, especially if you like history and mythology and philosophy and how all of those subjects appear in modern pop culture. So absolutely have a listen to The Midnight Myth. I will put some information in the show notes. We have another patron comment from Scott who says, At the point of release, who knew Suicide Squad would be responsible for both my most and least favourite DCEU films? Everything works better this time out. The humour, the action, the action investment in the fate of the squad. James Gunn and the cast by extension are clearly having an absolute ball and giving it metaphorical heart amongst the actual ball. I could wax lyrical about a good proportion of the cast. I can't pick a favourite. Shame the release strategy and COVID cut its legs out from under it a bit. Also, Peacemaker was a ton of fun. And Scott is my wonderful friend, Scott. We actually saw this movie together. And we go to the cinema together quite a lot because he is a patron, but he was actually a listener of the podcast and then a patron. And then we became friends. So we go to the cinema a lot and we did see this movie together. And it was a really great experience to see this movie with Scott. And he also has a podcast himself. It's called Monkey See Monkey Review. And he mentioned about waxing lyrical. And that's basically what he likes to do on his podcast. Him and the rest of the guys, 
they just love movies and they like to talk about them. They haven't released an episode in a little while, but I know Scott's been super busy, obviously going to the cinema with me, but it's still well worth a listen. So I'll put some information for Monkey See, Monkey Review in the show notes too. And the final patron comment comes from Sam, who says, Biggest course correction in film history. So good. Which is quite succinct for Sam, really, because normally he has quite a lot to say. And normally he says that on his podcast, which is called Movie Reviews in 20 Qs. And they basically take a movie, like Suicide Squad, and they will ask 20 weird and wonderful questions about that movie. It's an absolutely hilarious podcast. And all of the guys over at Movie Reviews in 20 Qs are hilarious and brilliant and wonderful people. So obviously I recommend that podcast too. I recommend all of these podcasts, but I'll also put some information in the show notes for Movie Reviews in 20 Qs. Right, let's move over to Twitter. And we've got loads on Twitter. Honestly, the comments have really come out in recent weeks and it's really nice to experience loads of comments for these episodes. And we're going to start with at Addicts Action, who said, Great film. John Cena really surprised me with Peacemaker and I loved both his action scenes and his deadpan humour. Polka Dot Man's death still makes me sad though. Overall, it felt more like a Suicide Squad film should in comparison to the comics. At Andrew Gorge said, Love this film. Better than the first one in my opinion and John Cena could definitely be seen. Led to the equally awesome Peacemaker series. At D.W. Lundberg said, My favourite DCEU film. So full of life, laughs, colour and heart. Above all, I love that it's a James Gunn movie through and through with none of the compromises, say for, say, Aquaman, that plague the other films. Sometimes gleefully perverse and a few of the deaths actually hurt. At Smash Trivia John said, I absolutely love this film. It's one of my favourite James Gunn films. King Shark, Harley Quinn and Rick Flagg are probably my favourite characters. This made me really want to see Harley kill the Joker for what he put her through. It was really nice seeing James Gunn be able to go full R-rated in his humour. It makes me even more want to see that R-rated version of his Scooby-Doo film. James said in interviews that he pitched a Harley group team up to both DC and Marvel, which I'd absolutely love to see. At Jonathan Blade said, It's so much fun, but most importantly to the greater DCEU strategy, The Suicide Squad features the most authentic, most impressive iteration of Harley Quinn. At the real (laughs) P-E-E-E-E-E-T-E. I love that name. That's awesome. The real Pete says, I'll follow James Gunn to the ends of the earth. So no one had to twist my arm to watch The Suicide Squad. That being said, I still had much more fun than I expected. John Cena was amazing. Polka Dot Man is tragically hilarious. And the terror slash silliness of the big bad boss was delightful. At Stungoat 75 said, A vast improvement on the first one, with James Gunn's trademark humour, but also characters who genuinely care about. I loved King Shark, but Ratcatcher 2 is the heart of the movie. At Fantasia Arm said, For me, as a long-time pro wrestling fan, John Cena was the revelation. Keeping pace with Idris Elba was great to see. Also super gory, which was very fun. At Music TV Film Fans said, Great if you're 11, but adults should know better. The continuing infantilization of the movie-watching public shows no sign of abating. At Fabricius91 said, Very much love this film. Best DCEU film by far. Extremely entertaining and James Gunn just knows how to make glorious and memorable entertainment. Nice to see him firing on all cylinders. Felt like his film through and through. 
cast chemistry, dark humour and action were top-notch. At WDRP The Derp said, One of my favourite comic book films from the past 10 years and it gave us Peacemaker, which is one of the best shows on TV right now. Love that, James Gunn. At Made Up Movies Pod said, It was pretty good. Not my favourite James Gunn movie, but had a lot of fun, memorable moments. I preferred the Peacemaker show overall. At Not That Bad Cast said, You know, it wasn't that bad. Better than the first, but that's a low bar. Location titles were awesome. Stallone was just hilarious. Ratcatcher was a solid addition to the team. Idris Elba better than Will Smith. That said, it's not a rewatchable movie, in my opinion. At SWA Productions said, Brilliantly funny and heartfelt. Daniela Melchior is a star here. And at Shoot the Flick said, Definitely better than the original, but I do wonder if in a few years it will be as highly regarded as it is now. Moving over to Instagram, we have SassyLassie76 who said, Such a fun movie. I love the scene where Harley gets out of her cuffs. Fantastic dexterity and just spectacular. And at SP underscore film viewers said, A vast improvement on the first attempt and a lot of fun. And finally, over on Facebook, we have Andrew who said, I enjoyed it. What I really liked about the film, though, was the fact that they did not kill the idea of a Suicide Squad film because the earlier version was not received very well. Too often in the past, bad films either killed franchises or took them in random directions, but this said, we got it wrong, how does this feel? And I loved they kept Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, which she played brilliantly. And the final comment comes from Tony, who said, Such an interesting movie. Idris Elba, Sylvester Stallone, Nathan Fillion and Peter Capaldi in the same film. Amazing. A brilliant reboot slash sequel to the first Suicide Squad film. Perfect direction and plot. The fact we got to see Starro the Conqueror on screen. We got a kaiju up in here. And what amazing comments. So many brilliant comments and a real wealth of different opinions as well. I think everyone agrees that it might actually be better than the first movie, which to be fair, I guess it's not particularly difficult, but knowing what we now know about the production of that movie, I think we could all cut Suicide Squad from 2016. Maybe a little bit of slack going forward because you know, it's not terrible. It just suffered from a real case of a studio getting cold feet. But I'm so grateful to everyone who took the time to give a comment, whether that was from the patrons, Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. A huge thanks to everyone for their comments on The Suicide Squad. To put it simply, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad is a love letter to mayhem. It's not even close to being a superhero film in the traditional sense, but Rather a true anti-hero film that revels in the power to take what are clearly C-list comic book characters and demolish them in the most gruesome manner conceivable on screen. It's a kaiju monster movie, a hero team-up, a commentary on US foreign policy, all about found family and teamwork, that even the lowest creatures have purpose and can do great things. The big bad of this world being the US government and the alien captured by that government just wanting to be free and live a life of staring at the stars, not behind bars, is that like commentary on US foreign and immigration policy as well as colonialism? I think it might be. This is a movie of stakes and consequences. Whereas Suicide Squad was a misguided mass of vignettes, with characters introduced just to die and ceremoniously, such as Slipknot, or just for throwaway lines such as Katana. She's got his back. She can cut them all in half with one sword stroke. Just like mowing the lawn, he would advise not getting killed by her. Her sword traps the souls of its victims, after all. And 
admittedly, the David Ayer cut does restore a lot of the stuff that's missing for Slipknot and also Katana as well. But ultimately, we have to take what we got in the theatrical version and it's a little bit of a mess, I'll be honest. But the one thing I take from this movie versus the 2016 Suicide Squad is that regardless of how chaotic and damaged you are, that ultimately you can find goodness, you can experience kindness, you can do great things. From the biggest starfish to the smallest rats, we can take our experiences and we can react to being damaged or we can grow and evolve. Characters in this movie are routinely abused. They grew up in poverty. They had abusive parents or abusive lovers. The cycle of abuse in this movie is apparent. And Nanawe is a god and yet is treated differently because he's a literal man shark. Sharks are one of the most misunderstood creatures on the planet. Every member of this Suicide Squad has experienced trauma. This movie understands that trauma in a way David Ayer's movie didn't. That a found family can be beneficial to have that support network, not just a team of antiheroes fighting a light beam into the sky. If these guys are the worst of the worst, then even the worst of the worst can change. Maybe that's just hopeful optimism. And it certainly doesn't apply to everyone because sometimes evil is just evil, but no one in this movie is evil. And arguably those who are or could be, like Thinker or Waller, or even fan-favourite Peacemaker, tend to get their comeuppance. And Peacemaker is completely redeemed by his TV show, after we find out he has a white supremacist for a father who basically wants to murder his own son. Everyone in this movie has a story to tell. Everyone is damaged, but not beyond repair or reparation. It's one thing to have villains saving the world because you'll blow their heads off if they don't, it's another to have misunderstood villains saving the world because they're actually going to do the right thing for once. We may get the infamous Ayer cut, we may not, but I'd argue we don't need it. It's sad that David Ayer's version was never released, but ultimately, that's the position many filmmakers are put in when studios or test audiences overrule their vision. But both movies had and got one thing right. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. The singular greatest piece of casting in DC's history still rules this movie. I'd welcome any future DC projects with Robbie's involvement and Harley's growth continues to be an absolute joy to watch. We may never get another James Gunn Suicide Squad sequel, but hopefully we will see some of these characters again. If I die because I gambled on love, it will be a worthy death. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on The Suicide Squad. If you have enjoyed this episode, you want to get involved and help this podcast grow, then there's a couple of ways you can do that. So you can comment on the thoughts posts that go up on social media on Saturdays. Leave a comment on whatever movie I'm featuring and I will read it out and I will credit you for that comment. You can support this podcast without paying a penny. And you can do that by leaving a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You can retweet and like posts on social media. Social media, by the way, I should probably tell you, is at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterboxd. Or you can simply tell your friends and family about this podcast. And if you like this episode on The Suicide Squad, or you like the movie, you might also like the following episodes slash movies if you've not seen them. Of course, I've got to recommend episode 70, Birds of Prey, because I love that movie. It does wonderful things with Harley Quinn. It teams her up with an all-female team. There's a female director, there's a female writer, and it really shows in that movie. It's so much fun. Again, I feel like Birds of Prey is so underrated, just generally in DC canon, because it didn't do very well. 
but you should absolutely watch Birds of Prey, especially if you like the Harley Quinn in this movie, because it feels like a natural progression from the Harley Quinn that we see in Birds of Prey, the post-Joker Harley Quinn. I talk a little bit in Birds of Prey about that abusive relationship, that toxic relationship. And that's the reason why I love Harley Quinn in this movie, because she is so past that toxic relationship. And I love that for that character, because I'm not a fan of the whole Harley Joker thing at all. It just really does not mesh well with me. I'm also going to recommend episode 117, which is on another James Gunn movie called Slither. And Slither is a great movie. It's a great James Gunn movie. It's a great creature feature as well. It's still got some great effects in that movie. And I go into, in that episode, how those effects were actually made. And there's a lot of sex toys involved in the making of those effects. But Slither is so fantastic. I absolutely love it. It's also got Nathan Fillion in Slither as well. There's a nice little connection there with Nathan Fillion. But if you've not seen Slither, it is more of a horror movie, but it's palatable horror because I like it and I'm not a huge fan of horror, but it's got some great creature effects in that movie. So check out episode 117 on Slither. And considering I don't do DC movies very often, <laughs> this is something that's becoming quite apparent. Uh, there's a lot of Marvel movies in my repertoire. There's not very many DC movies, but apart from Birds of Prey, I've also done recent episodes, 152 on Superman and 153 on Batman. So maybe you might like to listen to those too. Give me feedback on my episode recommendations. So I need to tell you about the next episode. And Heroes Through the Decades may be over, but there is one more surprise for you all. One more set of heroes. And these are heroes beyond the decades. Because these are heroes who are always there to save the day. Wherever you are in the world, these heroes can be called on to protect the values of America. America, 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 yeah! The next episode is going to be on Team America World Police. And this is an episode that I've wanted to do for such a long time. And I know I always say that, but genuinely, I have such a love for Team America. And it's not so much for the satire of Team America, although it is a very effective political satire. But you guys know I love puppets and I especially love marionettes. And I don't think I've done a movie with marionettes before. So this is going to be something new to talk about. And it's also got a really interesting story behind the scenes because I mentioned last episode on X-Men First Class that they had some tight timescales. But that was nothing compared to what Trey Parker and Matt Stone were up against with Team America. So make sure you join me next episode for Team America World Police. If you do enjoy this podcast and you do want to contribute to this podcast financially, although you're under no obligation to do so because this podcast is free and it always will be, but if you do want to contribute, you can do so. I have a Patreon. It's verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. And a huge thank you to the patrons of this podcast. Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Christine, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D, Sunny, and Drew. Nom nom. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh. It just did. It just did. Look, they're delicious patrons. Nom nom. Nom nom for all the patrons. I have a merch store. It's verbaldiorama.com slash merch if you're interested in merch. If you're interested in getting in touch with me, 
You can email me at verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can also go to my website, which is verbaldiorama.com. And you can also find me at filmstories.co.uk and you can find articles written by me and also magazines that I also write in as well that you have to pay for, but you don't have to pay for anything on the website because it's not that sort of website. Don't know why I'm saying it like that, but you know what I mean. And finally. Why rats, Papa? Rats are the lowliest and most despised of all creatures, my love. They have purpose. So do we all. Staring at the stars. Bye. Vision.